Good morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day. And a special note to Clarence and Sonny, who are upstairs and are translating what I am about to share. So I've been instructed or requested to go slow. Um, if I get too fast, I don't know, stand up or do something and maybe I'll get your attention and I'll slow down. But usually I don't talk slowly. For the mums particularly, a very special Mother's Day to you. I trust you had a lovely morning so far. I'm going to ask you to pray with me, please. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this opportunity to gather together as brothers and sisters in your family, together on this special day, recognising the contribution of mums and grandmothers and of special aunties, ladies in our lives. Blessings from you. We thank you for them. And we pray for them and for ourselves that you might speak to us now by your spirit through your word. That you might help us to align our lives with your purposes, with your will and with your intentions. Lord, here we are listening. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Rhonda and I have just come back. We've been away for, I think, three Sundays. This is about fourth Sunday since we've been here, so it's nice to be back. Uh, we had my dad's 80th birthday party about three weeks ago, April 21, and that went really well. And then we had a wedding in Sydney from a family that was from a previous church, and that was fun, uh, demanding, but exciting. We had a lovely um, service at HMAS Watson, which is the naval base in Sydney, overlooking the heads. And then last weekend I was down in Sydney celebrating my son's 34th birthday. 34. You couldn't believe it, could you? Someone as young looking as I having a 34-year-old son. I assume this decoration is for Mother's Day, not that Grace is growing old. We're working our way through this series and we find ourselves today beginning A. But just to revise and remind, G stands for genuine. Being genuine truth tellers. Speaking the truth. Being authentic. Being real. Being honest. And that's God's will for us as followers of the Lord Jesus. R stands for being receptive. Receptive certainly to God and to his word as he teaches us receptive like in this occasion but also receptive to one another and that's particularly the emphasis for this series is that if we're going to be genuine in telling the truth to one another we need to be open-hearted vulnerable willing to hear the dialogue and particularly in areas where there could be conflict or hurt or disappointment that we are going to tell the truth to each other and receive be receptive to one another to be reconciled even. A stands for active. The Lord Jesus as wants us genuine and receptive, but he wants us involved, active. He wants us to be energised, not simply, what's the opposite? Inactive, dormant, spectators, an audience. He wants us rather to be in the army, involved with a uniform on and 
Uh, active in a worship service. Pastor David spoke about that this morning in our 8.30 service. That we don't just turn up at a combined gathering like this, a worship service, and behave like spectators, but rather we participate. That when we pray, we pray with them. When we stand to sing, we sing with them. Um, when the Bible is read, we are listening. When the preacher is talking, we are trying to follow and concentrate and to respond and so on. We're participating. There's another dimension, and that's what I want to talk about this morning as well. It's not just participating in worship services, but it's also being active in fellowship. I want to talk about fellowship. That happens during and especially after the service, before, during and after the worship service, fellowship. It can happen during the week, can happen in small groups, it can happen in one-on-one conversations, fellowship. What does it mean and how do we do it and how does God want us to be actively involved in it? And talk about that. But also active in terms of the gifts and our involvement in ministry and involved on team. C stands for community. The God wants us to be in a community, committed to and involved in. That'll certainly come out a little bit more this morning. Wants us to be linked in, connected with, submitting to, involved and identified as part of the church family. Membership, belonging, a community. And not just a community together but involved in the community. And E stands for encouragement. That God in fact wants us to be a community of encouragement, of affirming and of uplifting, of supporting but also of speaking the truth. To encourage someone means that you can come alongside them and exhort them to bring direction or to admonish them, to be a genuine truth teller and for us to be responsive to that as we are actively involved in following the Lord Jesus. I'm not a great Titans fan, but that's what I would call myself, a Titans fan. You know the Titans? Gold Coast Titans, NRL... Hello? Apparently they won the other night. Like I said, I'm a fan, but I'm not a close fan. But I do have some of their paraphernalia. I do like the colours. I have a golf bag, a Titans golf bag, which is pretty expensive. I have some little Titan shorts. (laughs) I have a Titan T-shirt. I'm not sure if I've got a Titans cap or not. Not sure. I do? <laughs> there I go. I'm interested. But I've never been to the games. Never been to one. I have watched them on TV. I don't Twitter them. I don't follow them on Facebook. I'm not a member of the club. I haven't contributed any money to them except from buying that paraphernalia that I've already mentioned. So I'm a fan. I'm not a follower. I'm certainly not a supporter and I'm nowhere near being a member. And we're used to those sorts of distinctions, aren't we, in our society? You're probably agreeing with me that that's quite okay. You can do that. You can have that level of interest in something. But then we transfer across these distinctions that, well, I can be a fan of the Titans but not a follower and not a supporter and not a member and I don't actually go to the games. And we think that that same distinctions apply to Jesus. I'm a fan. I'm not sure if I'm a follower, not a supporter. 
and I'm definitely not a member. But sometimes in these distinctions that we make, that we think that because we name the name of Jesus, therefore we're automatically members. But the Bible says to us that if you are a member, if you name the name of Jesus, he expects us to be active, involved, committed. God expects us to be totally committed, to be uncompromising and unashamed. The Lord Jesus, in fact, says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anybody wants to come after me, Jesus speaking, let, him, let that person take up their cross daily, deny themselves, come follow me. Jesus expects us not simply to name his name, not simply by the paraphernalia, not simply to turn up at church. He expects us to be committed, obedient, passionate, in following him. In fact, Luke, uh, Jesus says in Luke 6.46, Why do you call me Lord and do not do the things that I say? Yeah, Jesus looks for in us in being active is like Luke 5.5 5, where the Lord Jesus, or I think in the boat, says to Simon Peter to launch out into the deep and to let the nets down on the other side. And Peter says, We've been fishing all night and we haven't caught anything. Nevertheless, because you say so, I will. Nevertheless, at your word, I will. That's the response Jesus looks for in us, to be committed, to be active. God requires commitment. Some people, and perhaps you're here this morning as well, some people say they believe in Jesus and they simply attend church. But if you really believe in Jesus, then your life will be impacted. You will find yourself involved in new relationships with new priorities. Because when you have Jesus living in you, then he is modifying your desires and your heart's intent. He works from within. It's not instant, though sometimes it could be. But for all of us, in some aspects it can be, but for all of us there is this progress of change and of growth. When I first became a Christian, I had nothing to do with the church, I wasn't involved in the church, but I suddenly found I had this desire that I wanted to go to church. That's the work of the Spirit of God within you, that's what he does. He is at work both to will and to work for his good pleasure within us. And so you find yourself being transformed. The book of Philippians, tucked away in the back of the New Testament, is a remarkable story of how the gospel of Jesus impacted and changed lives. There are gaps in the story that I want to maybe creatively a little bit but give you the background to the story and then to reread to you just the opening few verses of it and then for you hopefully to be impacted by this remarkable change that came about in Paul's life, Philemon's life, Anusimus' life, in all of these people's lives simply by the impact of the gospel. To hear this story 
you'll also hear God's powerful call in our own lives. Philemon was a wealthy man, a businessman, lived up the valley, the Lycus Valley. And one day, in about the mid-50s, say 53 AD, he travels down to the coast, to the city of Ephesus. When he gets there, he hears this man by the name of, by the name of Paul preaching. Remarkable things are happening. Miracles are being performed. Demons are being cast out as people. And Paul is talking about a person called Jesus. And that this Jesus, Paul said, had died, had come back to life again, risen from the dead. And that this Jesus was both Lord of all and the judge of all. Philemon was impacted by this presentation. He received Jesus as his Lord and Saviour. And at some point, details are sketchy, he actually worked with Paul somehow in the work of the gospel. Um, he would have returned and started the church perhaps in his own house. There was another man also from up that valley. His name was Epaphras. He was also in Ephesus and he heard Paul and he became a Christian and he worked with Paul and in fact he returned to his hometown of Colossae and when he got back there he planted a church in Colossae. I'm not sure if Philemon, the wealthy businessman, if he came from Colossae or from another little town not far from there. But anyway, years passed and their church is now planted in Colossae and Paul has moved on and about half a dozen years later, something like that, six, seven, eight years later, Onesimus, who was a slave in the household of Philemon, the wealthy businessman, runs away. Not told why, and it wasn't unusual for slaves to run away, but it was certainly dangerous that they would have been tracked down, returned to their master, and the masters could have done just about anything to them. Most commonly, they would have been imprinted with a letter F for fugitive, as a runaway. Well, anyway, Onesimus runs away. Don't know why. He finds himself in Rome. And by this time, Paul is also now in Rome. And Acts 28 tells us that Paul was receiving visitors. Um, people would come to him and he would talk about Jesus, talk about the kingdom of God. One such visitor was Onesimus, the runaway slave. And now Onesimus becomes a follower, a believer in the Lord Jesus, and becomes very effective to Paul in assisting him, working with him, supporting him, but Paul knows the right thing to do. And so Paul writes two letters. He writes Colossians and he writes Philippians. And he sends them with a man by the name of Tychicus and Onesimus. Sends him home to face the master. And when he gets there, I don't know this, but I imagine that Onesimus, while he travelled with him, is waiting outside and that the letter to the Colossians is read to the church and the church is receptive of that and appreciative of it and then Tychicus says perhaps with Philemon present with Philemon present I have another letter and it's addressed to you Philemon in fact it's addressed to the whole church Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy our brother to Philemon I wonder if Tychicus at that point looked up and looked straight at Philemon. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, perhaps his wife, our sister, to Archippus, perhaps that's their son or a church leader, our fellow soldier 
and to the church that meets in your house. So this letter is read to the whole church, but it's a very personal letter. Grace to you, to all of you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the letter changes and becomes very personal and it becomes singular. I thank, I always thank my God as I remember you, Philemon, in my prayers. Indicates for us that Paul was a man certainly who was committed to prayer, who had a prayer list and he's praying for Philemon. He says, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. Your love for the saints has given me great joy and encouragement because you, my brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Here is this wonderful personal letter, and you can go on and read it yourself, where Paul is writing to persuade Philemon, let the gospel have its impact in your life. As you name and follow the Lord Jesus, so now Anesimus has become a fellow brother in Christ. He's no longer simply your slave and you're the master. There's now another relationship, brother to brother. And the way that you ought to relate to a brother is different to how you ought to relate as a master to a slave. So Philemon, I could command you what to do, but I'm going to ask you to do the right thing. And Paul is trusting that the gospel has had an impact in Philemon's life and changed him. This letter is a test case. How will fellowship in the faith affect our relationships? For Philemon, it's the master-slave. But the question for us is, how has the gospel impacted our life? How has it transformed our relationships? Because when we name the name of Jesus, when we become followers of him, we are brought into a relationship with him, but with his brothers and sisters. It's a package deal. There are people certainly who say, Jesus, yes. Church, no. Don't like church. But such a thing is anathema to the whole New Testament. John, in fact, writes very bluntly. If someone says, I love God, but hates his brother or sister, then John says, they're a liar. They don't love God. Because John says in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, that if you love God, the Father, you're going to also love his kids, brothers and sisters. Package deal. The gospel has an impact. And one of the ways that it does have an impact, it, is it invites us into this thing called fellowship. Paul's alluded to that in verse 6 by talking about sharing of your faith. But back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, the Apostle Paul reminds us that God who has called you into the fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. God has called us into fellowship with his Son. There's a spiritual dimension, obviously, to this fellowship. And there's also this vertical, horizontal relationship. In God's economy and God's plan, children are born into families. There's a mum and a dad. There might be brothers and sisters. There's grandparents. And there's wider family members. 
God's intention has always been that in this complex mix of relationships, it helps the child to grow to maturity. We observe that all the time in our families. So too, spiritually. When a person is born again, when they become a follower of the Lord Jesus, God places them in the context of relationships in a new community, the church, where through this variety of relationships, we are assisted in our growth towards maturity. That's God's intention, that he saves us and then he unites us with our brothers and sisters. And there is a role, a relationship that we have to play. We are to be active in worship, active in fellowship, active in serving, active in evangelism. Well, let me focus specifically upon active in fellowship. This word fellowship is a word which has become misused, misunderstood. We use it very loosely. We use it to mean like friendliness. Nice having fellowship with you. We may use it in words like uh, in the context of socialising. That after church today we're going to have a time of fellowship. Have a cup of tea or coffee and something to eat. We're going to come up next to somebody and we're going to talk to them. And we'll talk about the magnificent Titan football team down on the Gold Coast. We'll talk about the weather. We'll talk about what we're doing this afternoon. We'll talk about all sorts of things, work and so on. That's socialising. And that's important and it's a gift from God and we ought to enjoy it. That's not fellowship. That's socialising. I can do that with Christians. I can do that with non-Christians. Non-Christians can do it with non-Christians. Christians can do it with Christians. That's socialising. That's not fellowship. Fellowship is like that, but it has another dimension. Fellowship is not simply having a warm chat, and nor is it having simply refreshments after the service. Well then, what is fellowship? The word fellowship means literally to share in common. Well, as believers in the Lord Jesus, what do we share in common? Him. He is our Lord and Saviour. His Spirit indwells us. We share eternal life because of Him. We share spiritual gifts. We have His Spirit within us who is working inside each of us, giving us desires to read His Word, to come together to pray, to fellowship with other believers. These things, promptings, come from the Spirit. We all have the same great commission to be obedient to. We share these things in common. And so when we talk, converse with other believers, beyond the socialising, we hit fellowship when we talk about the spiritual dimension of our life. That we are telling the truth and receiving it from one another but we're being active deliberately in the area of fellowship. What do we share in common? We talk about that spiritually. Does that make sense? So it's when we ask each other, how are you doing spiritually? How's your Bible reading? What are you reading in your Bible? Or it's even opening the Bible saying, what do you think this means? Or it's talking about the message. This one, or maybe one that you've heard during the week, or a book that you're reading or a question or an issue that you want help with. It's when you talk about your spiritual life, that's when I would classify it as 
and I think the New Testament does, that's fellowship with God and with our brothers and sisters. Um, am I being pedantic in making a distinction between socialising and in fellowship? I don't think so. There's a difference, you see, between eating dessert and eating a healthy meal, isn't there? It's for those who can't tell the difference that there is something wrong. Children and grandparents know you should eat dessert first. But parents know that if you don't eat a healthy, balanced diet, it'll be very harmful for you. So too. Socialising is important. But fellowship is vital. In fact, fellowship is a means of grace that God has given to the church for us to grow by that we won't get from any other way. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. talks about the day of Pentecost, the church is formed and the believers are gathering together. And it says, and they devoted themselves to four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's important. We need to hear what the Bible says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It says they devoted themselves to breaking of bread, communion together, of having the Lord's Supper with each other and remembering the Lord Jesus and receiving senses of his presence but also grace in our lives to grow. It says they committed themselves to praying together. But it also says not just apostolic teaching, communion and prayer. But the verse also says, and they devoted themselves to fellowship. There's something that happens in this spiritual conversation with one another that doesn't happen through prayer, through communion or through apostolic teaching. God has given fellowship to us in order for us to mature in the complexity of our relationships, to move on, to be assisted So let me encourage you after church this morning to have fellowship. By all means socialise. But ask about spiritual matters. Share where you're at. Ask where they're at. Inquire about each other's spiritual state or health. How their Bible reading is, what they're struggling with. And of course it needs to be someone that you're in relationship with that you know. And if you don't know, build the relationships. That's socialising. But once you do, then as a believer, always look for the opportunity to share spiritually with one another. What's the content of our fellowship? Well, the content, I think, is that spiritual dimension. How do you read your Bible? How do you journal? Do you mark your Bible? How do you do it? Do you have any questions? I often have people come to me and they're reading their Bible or something and I'm sure all the pastors have this experience and they say, what do you think this means? Well, we should be doing that with each other. Fellowship is a means of grace that God has given to us so that we can actively support each other to become the best that God wants us to become. Lone Ranger Christians are not in the New Testament. Undoubtedly, there are some 
whether out of just the normal cultural individualism that we are brought up with, a fierce sense of independence, I can do it by myself. I don't need the church. I can read the Bible myself. I can pray myself. I can share the gospel by myself with another person. I don't need anybody else assisting me in any of this. And all that's true. You can. But you can't be a fully obedient Christian without being connected with a community of God's people. You can't be. You can't obey half the New Testament. The New Testament commands us to love one another. If you're fiercely independent, there's no others. Love one another, encourage one another, bear with one another, pray for one another, give to one another, serve one another. All the one another commands are in the context of relationships. The fruit of the Spirit is in the context of relationships. God calls us out of the world into his family. And with that comes the responsibility for us to be active, actively involved, sharing each other's spiritual gifts. So through fellowship, through my conversations with my brothers and sisters, I received something, motivation, assistance, direction, correction, support, I receive all of those things to stimulate me in my walking and following of the Lord Jesus. John tells us in 1 John chapter 1 that this fellowship does have this spiritual dimension. That he says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, so we walk closely with God in obedience, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. It's the automatic overflow. If we're walking closely with God, it will lead into overflow in my conversations with brothers and sisters about my spiritual life. The verse goes on to say, in the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son cleanses me from all sin. It's interesting that that's linked. If I walk in the light closely with God, then I will have fellowship with my brothers and sisters and I'll experience this cleansing effect from sin. Watch what happens. Because it's when sin enters or dominates my life and I find that I am not walking in the light closely with God, then one of the other things that happens is that not only is there a sense of withdrawal of God's presence, but this withdrawal from fellowship happens as well. And in fact, this withdrawal from fellowship becomes an indicator of something wrong in the vertical relationship. That makes sense? So we need to be watching one another, watching out for one another, inquiring and being open and vulnerable, genuine, receptive and intentional, active when it comes to fellowship, spiritual conversations. Let me finish by saying this. The need for fellowship is undeniable. We will wither without it. The neglect of fellowship is sinful because God commands us not simply to come together, but God commands us to stimulate one another and encourage each other and even more so as you see the day approaching, Hebrews chapter 10. The neglect of fellowship is sinful. The privilege of fellowship is costly. 
it'll take time, it'll take effort. Uh, but the pursuit of fellowship is certainly worthwhile. We're all on a spiritual journey. We're all moving forward. And we are to do that together. And God has provided this means, church gathering, and then fellowship, talking with each other about our spiritual walk, about spiritual issues, so that we can encourage and support each other. We are our brother's keeper. Let me pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your word reveals to us that you're a God who exists in community, who has experienced eternal fellowship between Father, Son and Spirit. And that now in your salvation plan, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, you are calling us as his brothers and sisters into that same fellowship, fellowship with you and fellowship with one another. So Lord, by your spirit, stimulate us, open the door of opportunity for us to move beyond socialising and to enter deeply into fellowship of sharing together. Help us to be intentional about it and therefore, Lord, also active in it. May these, may this skill, this aspect of following Jesus become an increasing reality for each of us. And we ask this because it's your will in the name of Jesus. Amen.